This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefo Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And we are coming back with a, an additional episode of Women's Magazines, dot, 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 because, um, well, I have elongated once again. <laughs> Uh-huh. A very wide, broad subject into several episodes. It's not going to be the same amount as religious trauma episode. Thank God. There's, It's not going to be 20,000. I think <laughs> we're going to keep it at a succinct three. Okay. Because I have topics in mind. And with that, if you haven't already, we would suggest going back to our earlier episode on the history of women's magazines because we kind of break it down on what, how it began, what it looked like, all of that, um, and even the problems back then. Because uh, for today, we are talking about the state of women's magazines slash publications today. And I do say publications because obviously they're like the handheld copy of a magazine is less and less and you're mm. more likely going to see digital, which funny enough... I kept running into paywalls because yeah. <laughs> they're all <laughs> <Yeah>. digital. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I need to call somebody about that because that was an issue. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> Annie, did you have? Do you have currently, or did you have at any point a favorite magazine, or did you even have a subscription? I looked this up because I knew we were going to be talking about this. I didn't have a subscription. I bought Entertainment Weekly. Not infrequently, if it was a a movie or a, a celebrity I liked, I had a subscription to Disney Adventures, which was um, kind of a small magazine format. You're not seeing what I can do, but like imagine size-wise, most magazines are like 8 by 11. This one was sort of a third of that maybe. That's probably way off, but it was smaller. And I think I got it... I originally subscribed to it because I loved the Olsen twins. And they were somehow, they were featured in it quite frequently. I'm sure. But I I remember very vividly, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this in this episode or the next, uh, but Ryan Gosling was on the cover (laughs) one time as young Hercules. And I had the cover. I took out like all the relevant pages and saved them. Um, but I, it wasn't him. That's, that's not why I started subscribing. It wasn't him. But um, I did save all of those. And I remember the cover so clear. Now, I mean, we do use a lot of magazines for work. I think I'm still in the same, like, if it's like a Star Wars magazine, I'll get it. I went through a big, I, I think Entertainment Weekly is pretty, like, it's been the same. I I have a lot of friends who like 17. I went through a Time magazine yes. period. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah it's more like if I see something I'm like, oh, I really want that. It's less about right. a subscription thing. Right. I remember uh, Time Magazine covers like nobody's business. For some reasons, those stand out. 
mm-hmm. uh, kudos to the art director and the photographers because they would do their thing to make sure they would stand out. But then, like, I never had a subscription when I was growing up. My friends did. So I would go over to their houses and we would just go through the magazines and then, like, talk about them. I want to say, like, I was really into music more so than anything else. I remember distinctly a picture of salt and Pepper. Because they were one of my favorite groups when I was in middle school. Um, so I remember seeing them a lot. But I never really had any magazines. My, again, my mother had Southern Living mm-hmm. uh, in her house. And I think she had good housekeeping mm-hmm. um, in her house. And I think some of these subscriptions were uh, fundraising subscriptions. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Like, I remember, like, that used to be a thing way back when you could buy... Uh, wrapping paper as fundraisers, yes. school fundraisers, but also oh, yes. you could buy subscriptions of magazines um, for a good deal. $17 for a year subscription. So yeah. that's 12 magazines. <laughs> I, Why do I remember just brought this? back a stressful memory that I've forgotten <laughs> because I was one of the kids that would try to sell those wrapping papers. It was the worst. I hated it. <laughs> It's like, I'm a failure. I can't sell anything. <laughs> well, you know, there was this episode. Uh, I don't know if anybody watched Parenthood at any point in time. They are now gone. And, and there's some problematic things in that uh, whole show. But I really enjoyed it. And one of the big episodes was that the kid was selling the Christmas paper for mm-hmm. his baseball team to get uniforms and such. And he forgot and didn't do it. And so he already had the uh, paper, which was odd to me because that was not a thing. You had to do it, sign up for it, but whatever. uh Um, But, like, uh, he yells at his mom for not being rich enough to just order it herself and not have to sell it. (laughs) And I remember thinking, that was a thing. Yeah. The parents would be rich enough that they or the grandparents would just buy it all and they wouldn't have to worry about it because it was so stressful. <laughs> I was, was like, what is this? Anyway, wow, that just, yes, yeah, I've definitely wow. took us on a whole tangent <laughs> on that one. But yes, subscription magazines were a thing as well. And yeah. they apparently, I remember uh, it being way back when in some movies that there were door-to-door salesmen mm-hmm. who would sell these as well. So it was a thing. It was a racket. And now... <laughs> It kind of has become a whole different thing with the digital world um, and print may be dying slash kind of is. Yeah. We all love it somehow. <laughs> but with that, uh, some context now that we're actually talking about magazines, y'all. Uh, before we begin, we are going to be talking about body and fat shaming uh, as well as body dysmorphia and sexual content in this episode. So happy Valentine's Day a little ahead of time. Um, also, there's a lot of uh, backlash that came out of against women's magazines not too long ago. Uh, I think there was a whole reckoning in like 2000 and 2010. Uh, but also a lot of our information comes from then. So it is fairly dated. Uh, I, like I said, it looks like more people were likely to look into how the magazines have become or can become more feminist or empowering. So that's good. And that's more recent. Uh, but in like the late 90s, also we have some articles from the late 90s. So yeah, this is pretty dated. 90s, early 2000s, and 2010s, where we're talking about the problems with uh, magazines and women's mag- magazines specifically. Mm-hmm. So just that heads up. I think they still hold up because the same argument is repeating itself. And there was a lot of like overlapping of social media and magazines as well. So when we talk about it, especially when it comes to like teen stuff, it may be interchangeable. A lot of the research that we saw from like thesis and research papers, again, come from the late 90s and 2000s era, early 2000s era. Because, again, like I said, there was a big reckoning of like, why are we doing this? Why are you still doing this? Y'all have a problem. So it's good to see that that happened. It's yeah. sad to see it's still happening. <laughs> yep. We kind of ignore I feel it like now. <laughs> a lot of uh, when I'm checking out at the grocery store, a lot of the times I look at the magazines, I'm like, wow, still. Okay. Y'all, okay. there's the cabbage diet. Cabbage soup diet is still really big, apparently, because I love cabbage soup. I don't do it for, like, that sake, but I'll try to find the recipe. All the articles have it. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I just like cabbage soup. What's happening? (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's something to note that the print in itself has faded and moved towards digital or online. And we'll probably talk about that in the last episode. I'm going to say the next one is the last episode. 
I like how you're trying to to convince yourself. Uh, It's going to happen. I've narrowed it down to two specific subjects, so I don't vary. So, okay. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) I would also say uh, go check out our episode we did on fanzines because we did talk about some of this stuff in there. Yes. um, As well. But yes, okay. Uh, women's magazines today. Uh, there are, yes, a lot of women's magazines still. And according to the Library of Congress, they estimate, quote, more than 75,000 periodicals are published each year in the United States and Canada alone. And that number swells to over 125,000 worldwide. Consumer magazines alone account for more than 20,000 North American titles. And women's magazines have consistently ranked in the top 10 magazine categories. Um, of course, this includes all the different types of magazines, and the article is from 2023, so the numbers are not quite exact, but it's big. I would say that's still pretty close, 2023. Right. Feels Again. like forever ago. But yeah, 2023, <laughs> 10 years ago, or yeah. a month ago. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect, whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We are going to kind of just delve into this ugly side of women's magazines. So, like we said earlier, the women's magazine industry has already had some shakeups and revamping what they are doing or how they were portraying women overall. And we mentioned this later, but yes, this is all cis-heteronormative. Just go ahead and put that there, okay? Um, Unfortunately, we'll kind of dapple into it but not really so this is the way they focus it is making sure women are women (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i say that sarcastically and not with that belief in that conversation in that type of statement and that women all want a husband again obviously not what we think so but this is how it's going to come out Mm -hmm. but uh again we can't ignore uh the massive impact they have had overall in general, to society. We talked a bit about the way early periodicals transformed women's fashion and encouraged women to become more in tune with their habits and housekeeping. Um, But it would continue to influence women, specifically when it came to body image, which quickly became a moneymaker for, I think, all of the magazines. Not many. I think all of them. Yeah. In fact, according to a thesis done by Jamie S. Nobles from the University of Southern Mississippi in 2014, discussing the depiction of women's body image in magazines from 1952 to 1995, and it talks about how advertisements within magazines changed over the years to influence women. Uh, They talk about how body types and models changed throughout history and also why that might be. Here's a quote. The hypothesis stated that the depictions of women would shift from curvy to thin women, but most of the magazine advertisements depicted women as fit slash average. 
in the 1950s, and the ads moved on to lean models as the years progressed. Although actresses like Marilyn Monroe were curvier and were thought to be sex symbols, the models in the magazines did not reflect her type of voluptuousness. There were fewer depictions of full-figured women in the magazines than any other category. Most of the models were fit slash average until the 1970s, and then the number of lean models spiked. Of the 180 images viewed, Lean was the most found model size with 90 of the 180 models perceived as lean. Fit slash average had the second highest number with 66 of the advertisements seen as healthy athletic build. Okay. Uh, Of course, uh, as voluptuous and curvy as Marilyn Monroe was, she would not be considered a plus or large size. Uh, In fact, her waist size would have been more like a small or even an extra small, and one site said even smaller than that. Like, it wasn't even on a category of what we would see today. Um, And though she was medium at the top, according to the clothes that people, that the uh, researchers have uh, measured, and her hips, and she did have hips, she would not have been considered plus size today at all. Um, Again, many want to claim that because they said she wore a size 16. She wore a size 16, I think, according to French. (laughs) clothing. And most of her clothing were tailored to her. Um, but yes, she was curvy, sure, on a different standard. Like, that's that's a whole different conversation. I think her waist size was typically 24 inches small. Um, and it got as big as maybe 27. And from what I also found, like, it says that she uh, probably weighed from anywhere from, like, 104 to 114. And the most she's ever gotten was 140. And for her being, I think, 5'4", that's not huge. That's not plus size. Let's just, we just, we're just going to put that there. <laughs> and some of the changes in who was being advertised or what was being advertised actually has a lot to do with trending diet culture. Um, diet culture has been around for a long time, to the Greek days, they said, because of the whole athletic look and all of that. And is a money-making machine. We've talked about this with, like, influencers and all of that. This is a money-maker. According to different reports, uh, and I will say I was very confused, and maybe I don't understand the verbiage between, like, value market versus whatever else, because the numbers were everywhere. So I was like, what? And again, this could have something to do with they only had something that was specific to weight management versus things like food, uh, which even though they may not be diet culture, they use and use that influence anyway. Like milk probably could still be considered that level as well. So who knows? Um, but with that, uh, estimated value of the dieting industry slash market is as high as over $400 billion uh, and seemingly increasing every year, obviously. Although it did take a little bit of a dip uh, when a few years ago, the whole body positivity became more popular and more accepted, which I miss. Um, (laughs) But then we now have the usage of products like Ozempic, which is being used as a cure-all for weight loss and a giant moneymaker as well. Uh, It's no secret that the magazine industry has had a hand with growing this specific culture. Here's another quote from that same thesis. So why did women's bodies' depictions shift from fit average to lean? The researchers believe that the key to that is the fitness exercise boom of the 1970s. By the 70s, Americans' awareness of fitness grew, and with that, the role of exercise in American lives expanded, and exercise became part of the recreational pastimes. Jogging was one of the most popular forms of fitness. For example, the New York Marathon, which had previously only had approximately 300 participants in 1972, expanded to include more than 11,000 competitors in 1979. With the influence of the women's movement and Title IX, an act that imposed gender equality in sports opportunities in educational organizations, a large number of women took up sports for the first time in the 1970s. Right. And it continues, the average size of men and women continued to rise during this time and obesity numbers exploded in the 1980s as food is made more readily available and fewer people cook at home, turning America into a fast food nation. Because of the fitness boom and the increasing waistband of Americans, the diet industry takes off and by the 1980s is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. 
Within the structure of that industry, there is a great deal at stake to keep women hooked into the obsession about their beauty, their weight, and their dieting practices. Advertisements that show women who are impossibly thin and beautiful despite the rising obesity rates are showing women what they should aspire to become. Women try to achieve the impossible, and so they buy the diet products that only guarantee a temporary solution to their weight problems. When the diet is over, the women will most likely gain the weight they lost plus some. The women then see the perfect women in the magazine ads and experience body dissatisfaction and decide to purchase more diet products. Thus, an endless circle is created. The fact that diets do not work is the best kept secret in the diet industry. Only long-term lifestyle changes will help women to lose weight and stay healthy. By presenting an ideal difficult to achieve and maintain, the cosmetic and diet product industries are assured of growth and profits. The shift the researchers saw from fit-slash-average women to lean women could be rooted in an economic ploy to keep women reaching for the unattainable. Right. And I think that's such a big emphasis. This is a ploy. Yeah. <laughs> Which why the back and forth fad diets are huge. Atkins, not a sponsor, just does not want you to keep that weight off. They want you to continue to buy their products and tell you that's the only way you're going to maintain that weight. Right. Um, there's so many things. Of course, and we're going to talk a little bit about this later. Like, this can also create dangerous habits, which is yeah. really, really unfortunate for later times. And I will say, I bought into this and sometimes still do. I still do uh, because I am so insecure and have been tr- been taught I need to be skinny. Mm-hmm. And skinny means being a size three, which is impossible for me. Like, it, it will <laughs> never f- happen. But for some reason in my head, I must. And therefore, the pills that I see on self magazines is definitely going to help me. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really, it's effective. You get it in your head and you think, well, if I just do this and do this. But I remember doing it, especially like in college, and it was mm-hmm. exhausting. Mm-hmm. It was exhausting. And like, the payout wasn't much. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I grew up hungry in high school and college, and I am so sad that I missed out on food. <laughs> right. <laughs> I literally ate pasta. Mm-hmm. And that was one time a day. And I still, I think I've trained myself so badly to not eat that I don't eat. And I know you know that level as well. I've gotten better about it. I've gotten better. Mm-hmm. But if I'm busy or if I'm overwhelmed, that's the first thing to go. Yeah. Because that's yeah, something I can too. control, but we know mm-hmm. that. So with unattainable goals that continue to motivate tempt women, other very specific magazines also came into play. Magazines like Shape, Women's Health, and again, Self, and other such magazines are riddled with adverts that promise the perfect body in a short amount of time. According to another research paper that was published in Turkey, the influence of magazines like Women's Health and Cosmo continue to not only perpetuate the perfect body, but also the idea that perfection is only found within westernized standards. Uh, Here's a quote from that paper. The magazine often advises women to watch their weight all the time by eating certain light meals and drinking certain healthy drinks, helping to detox the body. Nevertheless, the magazine often shows dieting as such an easy thing, which women do not have to worry about by getting into stress, as Kim and Lennon, which was a researcher, previously have mentioned. However, dieting is in fact a painful thing, especially for women who have excess weight. Therefore, the magazine always puts ideal beauty standards in front of women, and it expects them to breach those high standards by looking good and young. Therefore, the female readers are implicitly advised that they need to groom, shop, diet, do fitness, and take care of their bodies to preserve a perfect image that is related with that white ideal beauty. And that's, we don't really talk about this at all in that level. We do talk a little bit about the fact that it is... um, Oppression. This type of culture is oppression. But the fact that a majority of what we see are all, until recently, like Kim Kardashian and and like hip hop stars have kind of changed that a little bit. But I feel like Korean pop stars have now brought it back uh, to this Western idea that you have to be skinny, skinny, skinny. Mm -hmm. As one uh, woman was quoted saying, being wraith-like is ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's kind of the issue. And and by the way, we also are not talking at all about the cosmetic industry, which 
like I said, I picked and choose because we did talk about that before with influencers and such as that. But yes, the other if, if there if there was a chart, I'm sure it's like 45 percent uh, diet culture, 45 percent cosmetics and 10 percent. Good luck. <laughs> fashion. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, yeah, fashion, because I if you um, want to go back and listen to some episodes we've done, but like things like um, shaving. Mm hmm. That was largely due to the fabric that was popular at the time, and it was advertised in magazines. Like, if you want to wear this fabric, you have to shave. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things like that. Uh, and also, oddly enough, a past co-host, uh, I believe it was Kristen Caroline, it was a long time ago, talked about Barbie. One of the reasons Barbie is so thin is it's cheaper to make clothing for someone who's right. very thin. Right. Um, so it's also very beneficial for Right. The the fashion industry. <laughs> right. In general. And that's the other part is that we also don't talk about this, but I found article upon article about talking about the fact that being in this diet culture, being thin, um, gives more advantages uh, to this this idea of thin privilege, gives more mm-hmm. advantages to those who are thin, typically white, as well as, yes, it's cost effective because the clothing is cheaper mm-hmm. as well, because for some reason... Uh, anything that is beyond a size eight needs to be ten dollars extra, if not fifty. Yeah, yeah, and they, they should be. We'll put a big asterisk on that because there's also been things that are like, "What are you doing?" It's not really. Yeah. But anyway, that is there what they have said. Yes. 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 Um, okay. But uh, to go back to this um, research article we've been quoting, uh, they continue with this warning. However, the women who overexercise and diet, unfortunately, engage in unhealthy behaviors such as eating disorders as a result. In other words, the magazine expects Turkish women to transform their bodies to a lighter size and resemble the Western ideal of beauty, which not only means culturally assimilating the curvy body, but also anticipating to invite diseases such as anorexia or bulimia in the long term. Right. Yeah. You know, there's been cultures where I'm like, yes, these are my people. I want to be here because my body looks more like them. <laughs> yeah. And they like me better because of that. I have to say, I have unfortunately witnessed this in mm-hmm. other countries where people will tell me, oh, I'm not going to eat for a couple of days. And I'd be like, what? And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I need to lose weight. And they would just yeah. say it. And I'd be like, oh, okay. right. <laughs> this whole level with, again, like uh, Europeans. No hate to any Europeans, but like they will talk about the fact that they can't they can't look as big as Americans or whatever, whatnot. And so what they do is not eat mm-hmm. for a few days. And that's absolutely normal. Like that's like that's so sad. Don't you miss it? <laughs> yeah. Also, like, no offense, I've done it, but it is not gonna last. <laughs> it's not gonna yeah, you're only causing yourself trouble and headaches, literal headaches. Yes. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And while we are here, let's just remind ourselves uh, that though we are coming back to the idea that dieting is good and being skinny is the only way to exist, yes, this is sarcasm, it's not, and that this movement in itself is anti, like just anti-everything um, in so many ways. Yes, yes. From the National Alliance for Eating Disorders, Diet culture, quote, encompasses the collective beliefs and practices that promote the pursuit of weight loss as the ultimate marker of health and well-being. It is a pervasive force that permeates various aspects of our lives, from media portrayals of ideal bodies to the messages we receive from friends, family, and even healthcare professionals. Diet culture often emphasizes the importance of adhering to strict eating regimens, promoting quick fixes, and advocating for the thin ideal. It's based on fallacies like, one food is better than another, people who are thin are healthier, people who are thin are more attractive, higher weight bodies are a result of poor health choices, individuals have full control over their health and appearance. Right. And in that article, it talks about healthism, uh, which is this narrative which a lot of healthcare professionals have done, which blame everything on being overweight and ignoring yeah. the actual health and problems. Um, and it's is anti, obviously. There was an mm -hmm. interesting TikTok video, too, of this young, young baby girl who calls herself a life coach saying that tomatoes make you fat. <laughs> that was it. And then what she, I think, was trying to say when she was apologizing later on because everybody went after her <laughs> was that it hurts her stomach. Um, oh. and, and because of the acid. And they're like, that's completely different. That's completely <laughs> different from they make you fat. Okay? Calm yes. down. <laughs> but yeah, so with that, I mean, it's it's cultures like this that feed into that yeah. kind of narrative. Um, and yeah, this culture literally demonizes fatness. And uh, again, this is from the uh, National Alliance. With its connection to Christianity and morality, which we didn't talk about, we did kind of talk about being the perfect housewife. That means having the perfect body. Mm -hmm. The thought is the whole keeping the body clean and holy or keeping yeah, it your tight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And keeping it tight for your spouse. Like they say, yep. men too, you can't be getting that pot belly. I've heard that said. Um, <laughs> literally a pastor, a preacher, like his last name is Graham. Apparently he is the, yes. he is the founder of Graham oh, Records. no, don't get me started on this <laughs> oh, whole we, subject. You know, oh my gosh. Be, <laughs> we can't. But he was one of those that preached this idea yeah. that our body and, and being, skipping a meal is for God. Uh, of course, yeah. We didn't talk about this in the religious trauma. God, that just haunts me, I swear. Uh, but yeah, the idea of fasting, which mm -hmm. wasn't a holy idea for sure, but is used by many people to lose weight. Yes, yes. And we have discussed this before. This is ingrained in our culture to a point that I think a lot of people don't realize. We've had listeners write in and be like, you were saying something terrible, like people should lose weight. We're like, okay. Um, but just real quickly... Graham created graham crackers yeah. to, like, stop people from masturbating. Yes. And he told me this. Yeah. And now he hated sugar, and he basically thought you should, like, not experience food, really. Yes. Be really thin. It was a moral issue. And now graham crackers have so much sugar in them, <laughs> and it gives me joy. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what his family thinks of that legacy. I mean, if they're getting the money, they probably don't care. I mean, but like, are they ashamed of that legacy or are oh, they cool with sure. it? That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's also like, you know, I do get joy out of it, but it is, we also have a kind of whole issue with sugar in this country yeah. and what's added. So, you know, but it That's does give whole, me joy that he's right. like in his grave. Damn That's it. a whole <laughs> different conversation. But FYI about graham crackers, because what do we do but go on tangents in the first grade? <laughs> My teacher, who was one of my favorite teachers, would have us give us graham crackers and then give us frosting and let <laughs> us cover it with frosting and candy. And that would be our snack. And boy, did I frost both sides. <laughs> I mean, you use it to build gingerbread houses. That's it's great. True. It's true. But I remember that snack like nobody's business. Thanks, Miss O. 
<laughs> right. And with that, this this diet culture actually supports system of oppression. So when we say we're it's anti, I mean, it's anti. Uh, it is anti-black. And we've talked about it before, how this movement, how uh, the fat phobia is real racist ideals, especially when it comes to oppressing people and who it oppresses and how uh, they use it against uh, people of color, specifically black people. Um, it holds up the patriarchy because, once again, this is for the sake of men, oftentimes, the way you look. Especially when we talk about looking your best for your husband, for this, for your for your next yeah. date, for prom. Or all even that. like all the recipes, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it reinforces, once again, the idea of thin privilege, which exists. And people may say, like we talk about, we have, have we ever talked about pretty privilege and thin privilege? Uh, yes. Again, it's a weird thing, though, because I know we talked about it on the video series. I don't know. OK, OK. Yeah. Maybe we need to come back because that's like it, it keeps coming back around um, in that conversation about who gets what and why and who gets the raises yeah. and who, do, who gets hired. Um, and these are those conversations. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's an industry that has made billions of dollars on things that that don't work or that don't last um, and are not realistic and uses your insecurities uh, based on what society dictates to you uh, is good or is the best. Yes, and it's... It can be heartbreaking when you know someone who's doing it and they're, like, eating this one food and they'll tell you, like, I've heard this one will work. And you're like... According to this magazine, I got these recipes and I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. Two almonds for breakfast and an ounce. I'm like, that measuring stuff. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) The alliance ends with, quote, this diet culture fosters negative body image and it perpetuates unrealistic beauty standards and a serious weight stigma. This toxic mindset contributes to body dissatisfaction and low self-esteem. Additionally, diet culture significantly increases the risk of developing eating disorders as the obsession with food, restriction, and control can trigger disordered eating patterns and severe psychological distress. The harmful impact of diet culture on both short-term well-being and long-term mental and physical health is a stark reminder of the urgent need to challenge and dismantle this harmful ideology. Right. So, yes, that's not necessarily about magazines, but just the reason why we think this is problematic. And even though it seems harmless to have five exercises to tone up your abs, it does contribute to this culture. So just as a reminder, be careful. Mm -hmm. Oh, And with all that out of the way, (laughs) let's talk about how magazines in general have really, really influenced women and sex. And the different ideas. Um, yes, again, if you're hanging out with kids on this one, we're going to read some things. <laughs> I'm a, I think it's, it might make you blush, Annie. I, I, I'm like pre-blushing just thinking <laughs> about it. So I believe you're right. <laughs> so FYI, you might want to pause and take the young one out or put AirPods in, however you need to. I, and I have to admit that as someone who lived in the world of purity culture, I believed in it. Y'all, Annie, I didn't tell you this. My mother brought over a tub full of my childhood things. She's moving me out officially, for real, for real. Uh-huh. Um, she's like, you got a house, take this. <laughs> take this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right? And in it, on the top, I find a certificate. It says marriage certificate. And it is my marriage certificate to Jesus. <laughs> Well, so when good I say for you. when I say I was in that culture and it is pristinely kept, my mother made sure that it was kept all perfect, <laughs> on top. <Just laughs> unlike right unlike me living in sin today, uh, which she has accepted and loves my partner. But anyway, <laughs> when I say yes, I lived in that purity culture. I honestly didn't know much about sex until probably late 20s. Um, And though, of course, I understood the general concept. Yes, I have seen things. I've seen movies. I would often turn to different magazines like Cosmo, like Glamour, Redbook, and even Seventeen to find out what men liked. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Those, Mm -hmm. those got me. Those articles mm-hmm. got me. Uh, <laughs> if I had a question about oral sex, I 
I would often see an article and, and, and in those magazines, and I would try to take as many notes as <laughs> possible, Annie. Yes, I sure uh-huh. did. Uh, I was like, oh, you do this and that, and that's what, oh, that seems weird, but okay, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know I'm not the only one, because that sold I will say that that like we might have hid hidden it and we might have giggled and not said it out loud, but we sure did read it. Um, from relationship advice on how to keep a man wanting more, magazines were a reference source for so many, so many women. In fact, magazines are often how young people would educate themselves on those embarrassing or even panicked situations. Uh, Margaret Sanger was actually arrested in 1914 for her book, but also for her articles in the New York Call that covered topics of sex, birth control, and STIs for so many people who desperately needed that information. Yep. And later in 1960, after the debut of the Playboy magazine, which is a whole different conversation, uh, the magazine featured its advisor column offering advice not only on sex, but relationships and life as well. And by the way, according to a Vice article and a podcast released by iHeart and Crooked Media titled Stift, the first ever erotic magazine for women was published in 1973 by the same dude who started Penthouse, Bob Guccione, uh, which was titled Viva. Um, And according to that article, they, quote, paired feminist writing from women like Betty Friedan and Erica Jong and stories on anti-rape groups and female circumcision with full frontal male nudity and frank sex advice. As the first erotic women's magazine, it embodied the fight to push forth the conversation about women's sexuality amid the patriarchal influence of the decade. And in that article, it says, including the actual creator, (laughs) Bob Guccione, who we know is... Yeah. Interesting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And though it was acceptable for risque magazines at the time to talk openly about sex and relationships, it wasn't so much for ladies' magazines. It took a little while later to uh, for the first one to pop up in 1965 in the Cosmo magazine. Uh, the then editor-in-chief, Helen Gurley Brown, which she has a really great quote about why wouldn't every woman want to be a feminist, which I was like, yes, come on now. <laughs> she mm-hmm. She may have been one of our people's kind of a white woman of our peoples, but you know what I mean. Um, and But she was the then editor-in-chief, and she revamped the magazine from being geared toward housewives to more so single career ladies uh, and published an article um, on birth control pills in her first credited issue of the magazine. So she was ready to go. She was ready yeah. to go talking about yeah. all these things. Um, and more magazines started following suit with articles written by the opposite sex to teach the other sex how to satisfy or how to keep their relationships intact. So oftentimes they would uh, feature men to tell women mm-hmm. whatever the advice was and then vice versa. For men's magazines, they would have women come on um, mm. and give advice as well. So, you know. Things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, many famous examples are still talked about today from Dear Abby, which is more wholesome, but did have uh, questions about relationships that she would talk about, to uh, writers like Candace Bushnell from Sex and the City fame, who wrote uh, for the New York Observer in her advice. Here's a quote from GetMeGiddy.com, which is a sexual health-related site. Uh, Thank you, Samantha, for (laughs) having me say this. Uh, In the late 90s and early 2000s, less historically raunchy women's magazines began adding sex to their usual topics of coverage in order to attract more readers. Ladies Home Journal printed its first behind-closed-doors sex column in 2000, and Red Book began running its sex column Red Hot Sex that same year. Soon, sex wasn't just a topic reserved for magazines known for their edginess. It was an expected part of mainstream women's publications. Men's magazines underwent a similar shift with magazines like Esquire and GQ, both founded in the 30s and originally focused on fashion, increasingly covering sex. Right. Um, Yes. So... I was just really excited that you got to say the name of that uh, site, getmegiddy.com, <laughs> which sounds like yeah. a really helpful site. But I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring 
like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Because I can't resist a good uh, read-through of ridiculous things. Here's a few of the worst sex tips. (laughs) Sorry, I'm blushing. (laughs) Of the worst sex tips from from women's magazines, according to Mackenzie Z. Kennedy, who blessed us with these quips seven years ago. So it's a seven-year-old post uh, for Filthy. So here's one. Bring your lover on your food shopping excursion, view it as sensual foreplay. You can have a lot of fun caressing and gently squeezing foods and inhaling their aromas. The conversation should be entertaining, too. And I will say, I guess, Andy, you had a kind of related thing with food. So maybe, maybe. <laughs> also, look, go back to our episode we did on the movie Fresh. Sometimes this doesn't work out how you think. No. Oh, Lord. Because they did have all groceries seen, didn't they? Yes, that's sure our did. meat cute. I forgot about that. Uh-huh. Okay, here's another one. Make two fists around a shaft and twist them in opposite directions as hard as you can. <laughs> under this advice, Kennedy wrote, this really bad sex tip has been inspiring people to write about bad sex tips because it's literally is telling you to give your partner an Indian rug burn on the most sensitive part of his body. <laughs> I don't think that's comfortable. Uh, next one is, firmly hold the bottom of his shaft in one hand and slowly push it towards the base. Imagine you're pushing his penis into his body. So again, <laughs> I don't know if it's that effective. Um, no. Here's another one. Take a tennis ball and roll it with a slight pressure between his shoulders and over his butt to help him release pent-up sexual energy. Gotta bring a tennis ball into it, I guess. A massage. Okay. There we go with a tennis ball. Like, you're too lazy to do anything else. Here. Like right. smack. <laughs> and then the next one is very softly bite the skin of his scrotum. I feel like they could go very wrong, very, yeah. very wrong. Uh, but you do you. Maybe he enjoys it. And it says. And lastly, making him a snack after sex. It doesn't have to be a gourmet meal. A simple grilled cheese or milk and cookies will do. A simple. <laughs> Grilled cheese <laughs> or milk and cookies. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the level of like, it just come down to serve him. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and this will make it Go so make much better. Meal. <laughs> Go make a sandwich, woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> but it's essentially that statement, I feel like. So, yes, of mm. course, uh, I, we don't, we're not digging into all of it. And I'm sure... Again, this was seven years ago, so I can't imagine what else is out there. Mm-hmm. I wrote this, some of these things. Actually, I've heard this, uh, the the shaft ones. 
Just so you know, which I think is quite hilarious. It's such a Mm -hmm. romance novel term that is fantastic. Um, And again, though we jest with some of these ridiculous bits of advice, there is a real concern with some of the information that is being spread. Although, on the positive side, having popular publications open up conversations about women learning to enjoy sex or learning to explore sexual desires is a plus, uh, and for a long time unheard of. It has helped to destigmatize women's sexuality and even taught some men about women's anatomy that they may not have understood. Hello, clitoris. But uh, there have been problems as well. According to one article, some feel that women's magazines aren't celebrating being sexually open, but rather pushing women to have degrading sex and calling it empowering. Now, I'm going to be transparent here. This article that I found written in evmagazine.com seems, when I, as I was reading it, seems to be leaning very heavily into the more like coming back to femininity and it kept saying that idea, which seems to be code for like a conservative media, conservative think tank. I think I do think there's a point here. Uh, young girls are given an embellished idea that they're being told that everyone and every woman enjoy wild sex um, and are scared to set boundaries for themselves. So I definitely think that's a conversation we don't have enough of, that we've come so far sometimes to being sexually liberated, which is amazing, to forgetting the part about consent, which we have talked about previously, and boundaries. Uh, That was one of our book clubs, uh, two of our book clubs, actually, wasn't it? Come As You Are and... The ACE book as well, because we we have not really pounded that into the head of like, what is consent? When can you stop? And all those conversations and being kind of so open to the idea that we're not communicating to the younger generations what that means. Um, So I do think there is some thought to that, uh, as well as the fact that women are told that this is what's happening and this we we are all doing this. Like I've heard so many stories of men asking for threesomes and they don't want necessarily want it, but being told this is what people do. So they just go with it and being uncomfortable with it. So all of those things, I think it definitely has that point. So many of the magazines lean into the pleasing a man idea. So confusing liberation to nonstop sex Paid, uh again, and, and the b- fact that you have no choice or you have no uh, power to say no to any of these to things yeah. um, or, or to stop, like in, even if you mm-hmm. were enjoying it to a certain point and being able to have that communication. So I think that is a big conversation of that. Uh, but the article I'm referring to here also had an article titled Por- Porn Turned Me Bisexual and Ruined My Relationship. So <laughs> I feel like that's very... Yeah. Weighty uh, and very Uh obvious, as well as how to catch a husband. So, you know, watch out what you read. (laughs) They had some good points. I will not discredit that. I would not take everything they said as fact. So, just on that note. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so coming back to the original point, there is misinformation that can happen with sex advice, given from a magazine article. As one writer states in Dame Magazine, a walk through social media can illustrate just how deep the notion that women aren't big on sex or orgasm runs. While women fake orgasms, says a common meme, men fake entire relationships. Other prevalent humor suggests that the best way to turn a woman on is through house cleaning. Unless a guy or gal does so naked, mopping-induced arousal is pretty unlikely. Stress relief is important, of course, and if helping with chores or other tasks alleviates it, terrific. But I've noticed significantly more stress-inducing this in the context of female sexuality than girlfriends complaining about dirty dishes. And yes, this is talking about the whole women having orgasms thing, which we have discussed before at a links. Uh, <laughs> and though this article was written in 2015, we are still talking about that and fighting that misinformation today. I mean, men are getting on podcasts saying women don't have orgasms, so, or can't have orgasms. That's not biological, (laughs) so, you know, we're still having that conversation. Yes. Um, And, yeah, as we mentioned before, there's both good and bad when it comes to the sex relationship bits within magazines, and research seems to back that up. According to Kristen Mark, who is a therapist and professor, uh, after doing a short survey and read-through of a popular women's magazine, specifically Cosmopolitan, she concludes, These findings suggest that women's magazines such as Cosmo has potentially mixed effects. The impact is 
potentially problematic when women, after brief exposure, are, are less likely than those exposed to the control to believe premarital sex intercourse is risky, though it doesn't have to be risky. Use condoms, practice, negotiation, communicate with your partner, and make sure it's consensual. Uh, But the short-term impact of Cosmo can also be empowering for women when after brief exposure, they're more likely than those exposed to the control to believe that women should be assertive in prioritizing their sexual desires for their own sake, but not for male partners. Yes. Um, And I think it's also important that, again, we have no, like, we don't have good sexual education in this country. And, you know, places like Florida are banning the dictionary because it has the definition of sex in it. So if you have something like this, it can be, it can be really, (laughs) like you never hear about it. And that's kind of, it's unfortunate because it can be problematic, but it is also, okay, maybe I can like this thing. So, yeah, I agree. It's sort of a, there's pluses and negatives. (laughs) Um, and of course, if you couldn't tell, yes, this is very heteronormative. Um, the lack of information and advice offered to the queer community was very blatant. Uh, going back to that getmegiddy.com article, they wrote, in the years following, the publication made a point to include more empowering and inclusive sex articles with LGBTQ perspectives and advice geared toward feminist. Glamour similarly did away with content focused on what guys think, including a columnist by the name of Jake, to emphasize sex advice focused on women's empowerment. And they continue, still, the LGBTQ community has been largely underrepresented in sex advice columns, though some writers have recently stepped up to fix that. In 2017, John Paul J.P. Brammer started the sex and love advice column Hola Papi in Out Magazine to provide guidance to queer people who don't have the same access to information about their sexuality online as straight cis people. Ceci Blanchard similarly began her column MTF and DTF to talk about the little discussed experiences of dating and sex from a trans woman's perspective. Right. In a research paper titled Narrative Analysis of Sexual Etiquette in Teen Magazines, uh, the author writes, Other than brief mentions of masturbation in Seventeen, lesbian dreams in Mademoiselle, bisexual men who put their female partners at risk in Glamour, and one story in Mademoiselle about a woman trying to save a gay man from being gay, we found no representations of homosexuality or masturbation that indicate these could be appropriate expressions of sexuality. While there is also nothing which condemn these sexual expressions, their absence could be seen as very limiting or isolating by young women with these interests. Again, note, this was actually written in 1998. So yeah, when I say some of these are really dated, um, they are, but the lack of information is something that should be recognized and is oftentimes not seen in larger publications. Like we just talked about, um, the get, getmegiddy.com was like a 2020 article. So it's not been long and it's still very underrepresented. And the things that we do see are specific to queer culture instead of being in the popular publications. And that article is obviously specific to teen magazines, as it was titled. Like I said, I have read my fair share of sex and relationship advice from different teen magazines, which we will delve into in the next episode. And honestly, again, all this information is a bit overwhelming with a little, with very little to offer in like all the context. The way we have to search for things is within itself. A lot of times they call themselves out. So I will give, give them that. Like Lambert will call themselves out. Cosmo has called themselves out. You know, they've really changed uh, their tone in the last five years, which, again, it's going to be about in the next episode. Uh, (laughs) But for today, we're going to pause here. And yeah, I have done exactly what I didn't want to do. Make a three-part thing. Apologies, y'all. But hey, this is good stuff. (laughs) I like how you say three-part. We'll see. (laughs) Shut it. (laughs) We'll see. I'm I'm determined. (laughs) Okay. All right. Finally, I'm going to finally reveal the contents of my Ryan Gosling shrine. I'm very excited. It's sitting on this outline taunting me. Oh, it's taunting me too. (laughs) Uh, It's taunting all of us. (laughs) Well, (laughs) if you have any thoughts about this, I, I mean, we would love to hear them. I think I might go flip through some of my, I still have some magazines. Oh. Just see what's in there. Um, I have to find some quizzes from those old school magazines because there's some old. I remember taking those, like, what kind of man are you supposed to be with all those? I got to find one of those. Oh, yeah. I think the old horoscopes could be fun. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those, like, like fashion, like, flow chart things. Yes. Yes. Color palettes. 
Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to come back. Uh, maybe for a Monday mini, not 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 part not four. a full. Yes, yes, I will. I will help you with this. Um, <laughs> well, listeners, if you have any thoughts about any of that, or like, yes, any old magazines you want to share or magazine memories you want to share, um, please let us know. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at stuff I never told you. We have a tea public store. And we have a book you can get wherever you get your books. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring. Like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.